Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm your host, Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor. Uh, back from vacation, feeling refreshed, ready for the rest of the summer, and ready for the rest of the summer league, which is uh, exactly where the Cavaliers are at this point. Cavaliers taking uh, advantage of the summer league action, letting their rookies, letting their young guys get playing time. Um, Chris, how has it been with summer league thus far? What are your initial thoughts on on what you've seen from the new draft picks, from um, some of the guys that were invited out there? And I think the main thing is when it comes to Ojai Abaji, because obviously he's the headliner of the summer league roster and he's the lottery pick and he's the one who's going to play as a rookie. Um, the, the main takeaway that I have from him is that you see a path to how he can help the Cavs in year one. And I didn't think he was going to go to summer league and he was going to tear it up and he was going to be in the MVP running or something like that, or on the all summer league team. Um, I didn't see him as that kind of player. And, and I didn't think he was going to be used to put up those kinds of gaudy numbers. But again, you can understand how once he's surrounded by Darius Garland and, and Jared Allen and Evan Mobley and Lowry Markinen, how it's going to be problematic for opposing defenses and how it's going to be extremely beneficial for the Cavs offense. He's going to be able to space the floor. He's going to be set up in the corners for driving kicks. He's going to be able to come off screens to his left, come off screens to his right. Like the Cavs where they are, they don't need somebody who is going to dominate possessions. They don't need somebody who's going to have the ball in their hands and, and that's how they're going to go and get theirs. They need an off-ball threat that can complement what they already have on this roster. And that's what Abaji is. And that's what he's shown himself to be throughout the course of Summer League. From what I've seen, I mean, he's been shooting the ball really well from outside, which is kind of what they brought him in to do. I mean, I think he's like 39% or something like that. Um, yep. I mean, that's kind of what you want to see, I would, I would assume. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what you want to see. And, and a lot of people will point to the fact of, of what he can't do, and, and that's understandable. There are weaknesses that he has to his game, and that's why he went number 14 overall. That's why he stayed four years in college rather than entering the NBA after his junior year, and that's why he wasn't you know, a top-10 pick because there are flaws in his game, and, and I think the upside is, is probably a little bit more limited than some of the other options that the Cavs could have looked at at number 14, Malachi Branham, Blake Wesley, um, A.J. Griffin, maybe some of those kinds of guys who are perceived to have more upside. And, and that's fine. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, he's a perfect player and he doesn't have any of those flaws. I, I think he's shooting 37 percent inside two point range. And, and I talked to Cavs assistant coach Mike Garrity, who is the summer league head coach out there. Um, I, I talked to him about that. I said, hey, look, now that you've got this evidence of, of what Ochai can do and what he can't do in this kind of environment, are you going to take what you've learned in Las Vegas, translate it to the offseason, and make a point of emphasis on him being better when it comes to inside the three-point line? Because if, if teams are going to start crowding him, if teams are going to start going over screens, if teams are going to start trying to blow up dribble handoffs and, and things like that, 
you know, he's going to have to find a counter to that. Um, and he said, that's a great question for J.B. Bickerstaff because that's not going to be my domain. You know, I'm the player development right. coach after Summer League is over. Um, but I would think, based on what we've seen here at Summer League, that that is something that we need to work on. And I think Ochai recognizes that as well. So, you know, again, he, he has shown the good things about him at Summer League, and he has shown the things that, that probably made him the 14th pick as opposed to a top 10 pick. And that's okay, though, because, you know, it's hard to say that the Cavs weren't looking for, for something more, but they're at a point in this rebuild, Hayden, where I feel like fit drove this decision that they made with the 14th pick more than in past years. They know they have Darius. They know they have Evan. They know they have Jarrett. They believe in Lowry Markinen and what he can be for the Cavs. Um, they expect better from Karis Levert in his second season with the Cavs. Um, there are a lot of circumstances attached to why he struggled over the final two months. So they were just looking for somebody that could fill in the gaps, that could complement those other pieces that they have. And the weaknesses that Abaji has might be masked because of the guys that are surrounding him that can do the things for the Cavs that Abaji at this stage of his career, at this stage of his development, can't do. Yeah, I mean, it makes the, – the pick, when you look back, it makes sense, you know, everything they wanted in, in that pick, you know, a guy that can come in and play right away. I mean, um, does he does he seem more advanced than a lot of the other guys that he's playing with right now, given that he is experienced and given that he is, you know, older? It just seems like he has an understand – a better understanding of the game. He has a comfort level within himself, what he is, what he isn't, Right. And I think that's one of the things that you like about him. If you've been around long enough and you recognize your flaws, but you don't try and go outside yourself to prove otherwise. You know what I mean? You just try to continue to maximize the things that you do well. It's funny because I talked to Jared Allen about this um, at different points last year. And I said, look, man, a lot of teams around the NBA are looking for fives that can stretch it out to the three-point line. Is that the next step of your development? And he said, while I would like to get to that point and I continue to work on those kinds of things, I can't allow that to be my sole focus. I can't allow that to take away from what made me a $100 million man. And I thought that was a really, really good perspective. And I think about that when I watch Abaji. He can't allow this idea that he needs to be more effective from two-point range. He can't allow the fact that he needs to be more of a playmaker, more of a creator. He can't allow that to take away from what got him drafted 14th overall by the Cavs. And I have seen at Summer League an idea of who he is and a recognition of that. And the other thing that stands out to me, Hayden, is that he's got a more mature game and body to him like you look at him and you say i can see that guy in meaningful regular season games going out there and competing both offensively and defensively yeah i mean that's that's again it all makes sense it all it all comes together with uh, abaji and what he's able to do um you wrote an article a couple 
mm, I, want, I don't want to say a couple days ago, but maybe a little longer than that, uh, about Luke Travers, who uh, Travers, who um, is, yeah. I know, it's, it's Travers, um, who is from Australia and um, started with a really nice debut. I mean, what, what, what are the early impressions of him? What are the early impressions of Isaiah Mobley? I mean, those are the three guys that the Cavs just drafted that are playing. So what 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 are the impressions of those two guys? Well, I think Travers has been good. I think the Cavs have, have liked what they've seen from him. Um, he just has a good feel for the game. That's what really pops to me. I don't know, Hayden, that he's ever going to be a rotational NBA player. He's not super athletic. Looks like he's moving in slow motion. He reminds me a lot, honestly, of Kyle Anderson, a guy that the Cavs were interested in this past offseason. Um, they, they, they kicked around the idea of, of using the mid-level exception on him. Anderson was interested in the Cavs. Then the Cavs said, you know, if we go with Anderson, we can't bring back Rubio. Rubio's plan A. We've got to go that direction. But, but Travers has a lot of that to his game. He's more of a point forward type. He's somebody who's looking to set up his teammates. He's somebody who can do a lot of different things well, but he doesn't do anything great. Um, so he clearly needs more work, even though he looks like 30, 35 years old because of the <laughs> mullet and the mustache. You know, he's only 20 years old. He can't right. even legally drink in Vegas or go into a casino and gamble in Vegas. Um, so I think we have to remember that and we have to remember the fact that he was the 56th pick and the Cavs always planned to stash him overseas for at least another year because he's not ready yet. He's not ready for the NBA game and that's okay. He's got some work to do on himself. He's got some work to do on his body, but I think the thing that stands out to me is that you see the idea of why the Cavs were willing to make the investment. At this point, he's more of an idea. A versatile, six foot eight, two way wing who can make some plays. He shot it better, I think. Like it looks better coming off his hands than I thought it was going to from everything that I saw with him playing um, overseas. Um, so he's versatile, he's got size, he's got a high basketball IQ, he plays extremely hard. So the idea of him is really, really intriguing, but it's going to be up to him um, to continue to grow and develop and show that he does belong in the NBA. Um, but obviously, like, he's a couple of years away, if we're being honest. And Isaiah? Isaiah is interesting because – I think part of the reason why they drafted him, in fact, I know part of the reason why they drafted him was because of his ties with Evan. And another reason why they drafted him is because of the contract uh, that he was willing to sign. He got a two-way contract. So right. the, the Cavs didn't have to take an NBA roster spot with that second-round pick. They can develop him. They can work with him closely. They can start him in the G League and, and see how he continues to transition there. I think he's been fine. Um, I don't think there's anything that stands out about him. Like leaving Summer League, you have an impression about Oshai that says, this guy can help. 
this guy yeah. can do things for the Cavs that they need that they don't have on this roster. That shooting piece is going to make him a weapon and is going to make him push for immediate playing time. With Isaiah, you leave Summer League saying, okay, I understand why the Cavs made the investment in his growth and his development, but he's probably not going to play any kind of meaningful minutes as a rookie, maybe even as a sophomore. Um, So it's all going to be about how he continues to progress and and what happens in the Cavs player development system. Um, But he's smart. He can pass really well for a big man. He can play multiple positions. He just looks like the three-point line is a little bit long for him right now and maybe surprisingly long for him. Like, oh, crap, I'm not in college anymore. This line is a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. Um, (laughs) He's defensive-minded. He's he's a good uh, communicator on defense. It's funny because we talked to Mike Garrity following – yesterday's game against the Pistons where the Pistons made this crazy run at the end of the game and and they were down 23 and then they took the lead again and Mike Garrity said it was Isaiah who was kind of um, talking through everything with everybody both offensively and defensively like he took those leadership reins and and you like to see that Um, especially because you know, on defense, he's the mouthpiece on defense at Summer League. And with the Cleveland Charge, he's probably going to be the mouthpiece on defense. So he has those kinds of things within his game. But he's far away, and, and I have my doubts. It, it's going to depend a lot, Hayden, on, on how much better he gets offensively and how much more comfortable he gets when it comes to three-pointers and long-distance twos. Because I think the idea of him is a pick-and-pop type big man. So he's got to be able to make those shots from the outside um, to be more of a threat. And and if he does that, then maybe possibly he becomes an NBA player and something more than somebody who, you know, is just Evan's brother and great for team chemistry and, and those kinds of things. It's kind of funny, you know, we've talked about the, you know, all offseason about, you know, the fact that this team is pretty much set. And I mean, it kind of is. I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about Travers and or Travers and we're talking about um, Isaiah Mobley and those guys aren't going to next necessarily, you know, fit into the the core of the Cavaliers team. But I mean, they're, it seems, you know, amidst all the other moves, I mean, it seems like Abaji is pretty much it. You add them to the mix and they're ready to go for train camp. I mean, it's like. There's really not much to talk about in terms of hypotheticals anymore, which I love. <laughs> now it's just time to play some basketball, you know. It's um, it's a situation in which, you know, we've kind of gone through everything, and I don't foresee them making any more huge moves. I mean, I you know, Kobe will obviously jump on an opportunity if it comes, but, um, you know, it, it seems like they're pretty much ready to go outside of uh, one individual, and that's Colin Sexton, and um, not much in that um, – not much news there. So I'm assuming there's just, you know, negotiations and and maybe trying to find more money for Colin at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think Colin's camp, led by Rich Paul, the super agent for Clutch Sports, is is doing what he needs to do, shopping Colin around and, and seeing if there is some team out there that's willing to give him the kind of contract offer that uh, that side wants. 
very, very difficult yeah. to find that team right now, Aiden. Very difficult because, look, a lot of the money in free agency has been spent. I, I think the only two teams with, with cap space remaining right now, um, Indiana, because it looks like they're going to lose out on DeAndre Ayton because the Phoenix Suns decided to match that offer sheet that Indiana gave to DeAndre Ayton. So the Pacers have a bunch of money. And then the San Antonio Spurs have a bunch of money. Um, one, both of them are loaded at the guard spot. And I think it's fair to say both of them are in more of a rebuild mode. And I don't know that, that Colin makes a lot of sense for that kind of team. Um, so the teams that, that would be interested in Colin that have a need for, for somebody that, that brings what he does, they're teams that don't have the kind of money to give him the contract offer that he desires. Unless it's a sign and trade. And then if it's a sign and trade, the Cavs have to want back from the team some kind of piece or two that's going to make them willing participants in that sign and trade. So they would have to be getting somebody back or a couple of people back that make them okay with not re-signing Colin, that make them okay with flipping Colin. I mean, think about last offseason. So the Cavs got Lowry marketing from the Bulls, but that was a sign-in trade. And in that situation, the Portland Trailblazers got involved as well. Portland got what it wanted in Larry Nance Jr. The Chicago Bulls got what it wanted. And then, you know, the Cavs got what they wanted in a floor-spacing seven-footer that, that fits their, their timeline, um, that, that could play off the bench or could start. In, in this case, Markkanen became a starter. So who's that team out there that's going to make sense as a sign-and-trade partner? Um, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about the Utah Jazz, right? Um, well, number one, the Cavs can't really take back Mike Conley, and they can't really take back Bogdanovich. Because if they take anything back over $15 million without making other moves around the roster, which they don't seem all that interested in doing, they would if they had to, but they don't seem all that interested in doing. So if they just, if it's a hypothetical Colin Sexton for Mike Conley thing, the Cavs are in the luxury tax and they're not right. willing to do that. So that doesn't make a lot of sense unless the Cavs also attach like Jetty Osman or Dylan Will or something along those lines, or unless the Cavs bring in the third team. It also doesn't make sense because the Cavs went out this offseason and used two roster spots on, on backup point guards, Ricky Rubio and Howell Neto. They like both of them, and they can both do the things that theoretically the Cavs would want from Mike Conley. So that report about Utah being interested in, in a sign-and-trade for Colin Sexton is true. Utah has reached out to the Cavs. I'm told that was earlier in the offseason, and I'm told that that was Utah initiating those conversations, not the Cavs. So maybe there are other teams like that that are going to continue to show interest in Colin Sexton in the sign-and-trade, but they would have to satisfy what the Cavs want back. They want to stay out of the luxury tax and they would want somebody that is worth it for them to get back to move on from Colin. And it's not like they're desperate to move on from Colin. They like him. 
they want him back. They're optimistic that he's going to be back. There's, a, there's optimism within the Cavs organization that they're going to have Colin at the start of next year. Um, but, like, if they could get something that they feel like makes them better or is a better fitting piece, they will explore a sign-and-trade. But that opportunity to give them back what it is they would want back, that hasn't happened to this point. And it certainly doesn't seem like there's a logical fit between the Cavs and the Jazz. And it certainly doesn't seem like there's a logical fit between the Cavs and the Mavericks. Because who are the Mavericks going to give the Cavs back? Dwight Powell on an expiring contract? That doesn't do a lot for them. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. and his terrible contract, that would put them in the tax. Um, and that would eat up some of their future cap space, which is something that I don't think they want to do. They want cap flexibility, especially going into next offseason. So the market has dried up for him, and the side and trade possibilities have not been all that appealing to the Cavs to this point. Things can change, Hayden. There's a lot of offseason left. The Kevin Durant domino could still fall. Right. There are other dominoes that could the Donovan Mitchell domino could still fall. And then some of these suitors that that aren't logical become logical again. And and maybe that's something that that Rich Paul and and Collins camp is waiting for. So I get the sense that this could drag out a little bit. Wendy was so right about Utah. What's going on in Utah? What is going on in Utah? I love it. I love it so much. I think the whole NBA world knew what was going on in Utah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, that that's the thing. This is something that the Cavs really have to consider. If you're this kind of team in this kind of market that's trying to grow it organically, right, like Utah did, um, your window for contention can be really, really short. Yeah. So when you have that opportunity, right, you have to capitalize on it. Unless you have a transcendent player like Steph Curry, like LeBron James, like Kevin Durant, then it's a little bit different. But look at Utah. They made so many good moves during the last decade. You know, so many smart draft picks. And here they are looking to restart the thing because they felt like they reached their ceiling and they couldn't get it done. You know, the Portland trailblazers had Dame and CJ McCollum and they were winning 50 games and they were getting to the postseason, and they had home court advantage in the first round. And then they were like, we can't get over the hump. We can't go any further. So we've got to break this up. So I like what the Cavs have done here in terms of, building this young, exciting core. I think it's one of the best young cores in the NBA. And I think the future is bright. But at some point, they may have to go all in for that push them over the top move. And if they don't, a couple of years down the road, they may end up being Utah, right? They may end up being the Denver Nuggets. It's it's tough, man, in the NBA. Your window for contention in this era in this kind of market, trying to build that way, like it can be really, really short. Yeah, I mean, it definitely appears that way. And you have, you know, 
I think that's what you're right. I think Cavaliers got to look at that. And I think they kind of, in a weird way, kind of learned from Portland. I think everybody was like, oh, they're going to be the new Portland. They're going to try to get Dame and, and CJ with Darius and Colin. And they're like, wait a minute, that doesn't work. And these two don't work together like that. So let's kind of flip, let's transition. And then, you know, then they've kind of, I think they've been maybe the the trailblazers. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Uh, didn't mean that in that way. That's a good. That's a good pun right there. They've been the trail. They've been the trail. They've been the trailblazers for this kind of new, uh, this new big man kind of way to play. And um, maybe that's you know the way to go. So I think that they're very able to flip on their feet to transition where they need to. And uh, again, we'll just have to see you know what happens down the road. Think about Utah though for a second. Right, they have Donovan Mitchell, they have Rudy Gobert, all NBA type players. They have complimentary pieces around them. They win 60 plus games. They're the one, two, three seed in the Western Conference. Feel like they have championship expectations. And now here they are loading up on draft picks to try and start over. They shipped out Rudy Gobert for a bunch of future assets. It looks like they're going to ship out Donovan Mitchell. Mike Conley available, Bogdanovich available. They traded Royce O'Neal, their best three and D, for a first-round pick. That's crazy to think about. And that's life in the NBA. That's the reality of the NBA. And a big part of the, the reason why that happened was because Danny Ainge took over. And this is what he did. This is what he did in Boston. Felt like that Boston team reached its peak and said, you know what, I'm here in Boston, got Brad Stevens as my head coach, KG, you're gone, Paul Pierce, you're gone, let's start over fresh, and it worked for Boston, right, because they got Jalen Brown, and they got Jason Tatum, and here they are, they're one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, so that's what Danny Ainge is trying to do again in Utah, but it's just crazy how quick it can happen, because the Jazz, you know, by a lot of accounts, we're one of the top contenders in the Western Conference for the last, I don't know, however many years because of Donovan and because of Rudy Gobert at the, at the center of that. So those guys were the building blocks and both could be gone in the same offseason. Crazy, crazy how fast it happens in the NBA. Well, what do you think, um, just off the top of your head, what do you think happens with Durant? What do you think happens with Donovan Mitchell? I think there's, there's more of a chance for Durant to stay with Brooklyn than there is for Donovan to stay in Utah. Because I think the thing that Brooklyn is going to continue to run into, Hayden, is that who's going to give you enough to trade Kevin Durant? Nobody. You know what I mean? Nobody. <laughs> like, what are the Nets going to get that's going to make them happy with trading Kevin Durant? Nothing. You can come That's up with all of these packages. Like, if Rudy Gobert went for what he went, and 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 Donovan Mitchell may bring back multiple first-round picks and maybe Quentin Grimes or Obi Toppin or whatever concoction the Knicks want to come up with. If, if that's what those guys went for, and DeJounte Murray went for multiple unprotected first-round picks, What's the price tag for Kevin Durant? Not only Kevin Durant, but a guy who is under team control and contract 
for multiple years moving forward. Yeah, I just, I, I just there's, don't, I don't, yeah, I don't think there's any way. I, I mean, unless you're going to trade your franchise for the franchise, but like, you know, who are you going to surround them with? Right. So if, if Toronto got involved in KD and was willing to move Scotty Barnes, that's the kind of centerpiece of a Kevin Durant deal that Brooklyn, I think, would be willing to make, right? right? If the Cavs were willing to give up Evan Mobley as a centerpiece and a Kevin Durant-type deal, that's the kind of guy that I think Brooklyn would be okay moving Kevin Durant for. Um, if, if Phoenix was willing to move Devin Booker, then I think Brooklyn's like, okay, we're getting back 4KD, a perennial MVP candidate, what we need in order to move him. But it's like the Cavs aren't going down that road. Toronto's not going down that road. Right. And Devin Booker is part of the reason why KD wants to play in Phoenix. So that's probably not happening. I mean, is, is Mikel Bridges and, and Cam Johnson – and a bunch of future first-round picks, is that satisfying enough to the Nets for KD? I don't know. I don't think it is. So I just find it hard to believe that the Nets are going to get the kind of offer for KD that they would be willing to accept to move that kind of player. Right. With Donovan Mitchell, with Donovan Mitchell, it's been the worst kept secret in the NBA. It's been LeBron to LA bad in terms of keeping the secret. Donovan Mitchell to New York has been the worst kept secret in the NBA for years. Um, right. <laughs> like he, he's had a lot of power within the jazz organization. Um, he's, he's represented by CAA and CAA is to the New York Knicks what clutch is to the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, I I believe it was Donovan's first agent, Leon Rose, who is now running the New York Knicks. Uh, Donovan's from New York. It's just they have the young pieces and the draft picks in order to satisfy what it is the Jazz are looking for. So it's just something that has made a whole bunch of sense for a number of years and i think donovan is the kind of guy after being in utah for the duration of his career to this point um i think he wants a big market i think he's always wanted a big market right before we go chris um you know i think the last summer league game is is the next one and um you know then we're kind of home free till training camp so i mean it seems like the colin sexton domino is the last that's going to fall um, you know, and we'll see what happens with KD and, and Donovan Mitchell. So, I mean, what are we looking for from from now till then? I mean, is it pretty much just Colin Sexton and we're ready to go for training camp, or is there anything else that you know we're missing here? I think there are two things, Hayden. I think there okay. are two things in terms of on the court. It is the Colin Sexton thing because look, the Cavs came into the offseason with a plan. We've talked about this a number of times here on this podcast. Yep. Things that they wanted to accomplish this offseason. But generally speaking, they wanted to improve the roster without making sweeping changes because they feel good about what they have. They're coming off a 44-win season. 
They know that they're building around Darius, Evan, and Jarrett, and they've got to find the right pieces around those guys. So they weren't looking to make these big blockbuster shakeup trades unless they were going to get back in return what they desperately need, which is a two-way wing. So um, once those opportunities didn't come about, they were like, okay, let's improve this roster around the margins. Let's, let's take a run-it-back approach, and let's improve this roster around the margins. They're still going to be opportunistic. They're still going to be looking. They're still going to be listening. And if another opportunity presents itself where they can improve this roster, then I think they'll continue to explore it. Um, but they said, we've got to extend Darius. We've got to get multiple backup point guards. If we go the Rubio route, we need multiple backup point guards, but at least one competent, reliable backup point guard that can also start in a pinch. Uh, they did that. And we need to get a backup center that is different from the centers that we already have on the roster. So when we go in those matchups against Joel Embiid and Vucevic from Chicago, you know, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley don't have to take that physical pounding the same kind of way. And we can play a different kind of style against those guys. And they got that in, in Robin Lopez. They don't need a lot from him. Obviously they've got Jared Allen. He's an all-star. They've got Mobley who can fill in minutes at the five, but this gives them some more matchup flexibility more options there on the bench and more reliability on the bench. It's, it's different than Moses Brown, right? This is somebody who is accomplished, somebody who has been in the NBA for a long time. Um, so they did that. And then they were on the hunt for a two-way wing. That didn't happen for a variety of reasons, but they feel good about Abaji. Um, and then Colin Sexton. So of those things, the, the one that they didn't accomplish beyond the two-way wing is the Colin Sexton pick. So they've got to figure that out, and they want to figure that out, and they're hoping to figure that out, and they're optimistic about their chances of Colin coming back. Um, because of what they're willing to offer Hayden, they can't go over 15 um, because they'll be into the tax. Again, they could make small moves around the margins to try and get that number a little bit higher, but I don't think they want to get that number that much higher for Colin. So with what they're comfortable with in terms of annual salary, 12 to 15 million per year, I find it hard to believe that Colin would take a multi-year deal for that. So I think the qualifying offer, him playing on the qualifying offer and hitting unrestricted free agency next off season is very much in play. More teams are going to have money. It gives him an opportunity to reboost his value, show that he can be healthy, show that he can be a part of a winning team, show that stylistically he would be willing to come off the bench in that microwave score role that a lot of people around the NBA feel like he should be in. So I think the qualifying offer is a legitimate possibility. It's something that Collins Camp has braced for. It's something that the Cavs have felt like was realistic as well. Um, because 12 to 15 is, is not it's, – it's so far below the number that Colin and his camp set out for in terms of annual salary coming into this off season. So that's where we are when it comes to Colin. But in saying that, I think there's a path to him coming back in some capacity and playing for the Cavs this year. I think there's a strong path to that happening. So we wait on that. Um, and then the other thing off the court within a week, the Cavs are going to release their new jersey. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm excited. To, I'm excited so that, for that. That is coming soon. Not today soon. Not tomorrow soon, but soon. All right. Can't wait. Within a week. Can't wait. In the, in the words of and Bart Scott, people, can't wait. <laughs> and people are really going to like them. Awesome. I think. Because awesome. the way that they've incorporated gold is the right way to incorporate gold. Oh, I can't wait. And I can't. And I'm told I'm told there are three different jerseys. Three different ones. All right. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. All right, Chris. Yeah. I appreciate the time this morning. Uh, uh, we will talk next week. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Please be sure to go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click the blue banner at the top of the page. Sign up for Chris's subtext, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. And uh, I can't wait to talk about the New Jerseys. That's what we're going to talk about next week. I'm excited <laughs> for that. You know, it's, a, it's a slow time. It's a slow time in the NBA right now. I hope you're getting some much-needed rest and enjoying life as a dad. Um, and uh, we will. I can't. That's that's the stuff that I'm excited about during this time in the off season. You know, the the jerseys. I love yeah. that. I mean, especially when it comes to the Cavs, their off season business is essentially complete. You know, yep. Donovan Mitchell doesn't make a whole ton of sense. Like, are are the Cavs going to cash in all of their chips for somebody like Donovan? I don't see it. If they weren't willing to do it for Dejounte, if they weren't willing to meet that asking price for Dejounte, I don't see them doing it for Donovan. I don't see Donovan being that interested in coming here to the Cavs. So unless that piece becomes available where the Cavs are like, we need to cash in the chips for this guy. I'm just throwing a hypothetical out there. I'm not saying that this guy is available, but like Brandon Ingram is the kind of guy that the Cavs would do that for, right? Because he fits their biggest need. Uh, Jalen Brown is the kind of guy that the Cavs would be willing to do that because he fits their biggest need. But to give up, like, all of your future assets or to satisfy what Utah wants in return for Donovan and to, to do that and still have the, the desperate need for the two-way wing, like, I don't know how that does. That's just, like, because I can't come up with a better analogy, that's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Right. Like, what did you really do? The, the boat is still sinking. What did you really do? You just moved some things around. So the Cavs would get better from a talent perspective, but like, did they fill their biggest need? Did they change their outlook that much more? No, because they still have that desperate need for the two-way wing, the missing piece that they need that, that is required in today's NBA because it's a wings league. So like, I don't see them being all that interested in Donovan Mitchell for his price tag currently. So unless that guy becomes available, you know, I believe that their off-season business is essentially concluded. Right. With the exception of Colin. Of course. Right. Well, we will have time to talk about that. We appreciate you joining us on the Wanted Talk Gold Talk podcast. Thanks again to Chris for joining us. And we will talk soon. Have a great weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Take care.